would keep the hymnal open to that page. We're going to read the third verse here in a moment. This song was written by Martin Luther. And this last Wednesday, several of us were in the FLC participating and dressing up in costumes, celebrating, laughing, what happens on Halloween. But on October 31st, 501 years ago, Martin Luther did something that was very important in church history. He nailed the 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, and that launched the Reformation in many ways. It was one of the launching points of the Reformation. And Martin Luther was an interesting man, and he carried with him a very keen sense of the spiritual realities, the spiritual battles that we fight on a daily basis. And he certainly recognized the reality of the evil one. The verse we skipped is one we're going to read right now, verse 3. And though the world with demons filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Well, maybe as we, we think about that, as we hear those words, we might think in our minds of the image that we find in First Peter chapter 5, the image of the evil one, the devil, prowling around roar, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. However, that vision of reality has seemed to fall on hard times. In the age of the Enlightenment, with all of our modern thinking, with all of our technological advancements, the idea of the, the evil one and the demonic and the things that go bump in the night, those have been reduced to mere superstition for many of us. And what Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 6, the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Those are dismissed. Those are the ancients that came up with that, so we say. But in reading Paul and reading the other writers of the New Testament, and even our Lord Jesus himself acknowledges the realities of this malevolent force there in the heavenly places, the invisible reality as a way of explaining what's wrong with this world. And it's here where I think the ancients give us a more accurate picture of what reality is like than we do here in modern times. We are seeking to try to explain evil away. And we're trying very hard. Now there have been some wonderful advancements in the study of the brain and the mind and we have gone into genetics, the genes, and to predispositions and whatever that may be, but I would caution us, I would caution us to dismiss the realities of the powers and the spiritual forces of darkness. Maybe the ancients have it right. I have a friend who he was a computer science major and he worked for a business doing computer stuff. This is 30 years ago. And he was called to the mission field, and he went to Thailand. 
And he arrived there, and he, he told a group of us there, he said, when I came to Thailand, I didn't believe in all of the invisible reality, the spiritual forces of darkness. He said, since being here, I've changed my mind. I've seen some things that I cannot explain away. Well, I bring all this up because James, the half-brother of Jesus, also acknowledges the demonic, and that the demonic is at work in this world. And this comes out especially in our text today, James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, in the context of our speech. So hear the word of God from our brother James, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's perfect, a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father. With it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. May God bless the reading of his word. Earlier this year, at Austin Graduate School of Theology, there was the, the sermon seminar took place, and Rubel Shelley was one of the speakers there, and he spoke on this passage. And he brought up this news story that I had forgotten, but some of us remember it, and some of us were actually there in the same state. And he talked about the great Jasper Fire, of the year 2000, there in South Dakota, there in the Black Hills, where 83,000 acres of timber were burned and consumed, and over a thousand firefighters fought this fire. Millions upon millions of dollars were spent to put out the flames. But the fire was started by a 46-year-old woman and she told investigators that she had pulled over on the side of the road to light a cigarette. 
And she took the match that was still hot and she threw it on some bushes, on some brush, and it actually started a small fire. But instead of stamping it out, she left the scene. And the rest is history. 125 square miles of national forest destroyed by a tiny little match thrown in the fire. And James says, the tongue is like that. The tongue is like that little match. Now we tell our kids this phrase to help them deal with insults. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And James says, rubbish. Is there anything more destructive than the tongue? Well, James has already addressed in this letter several things that were going on in those churches to whom he was writing, things that are universal in nature. We grab a hold very readily today, but I think especially with the tongue and speech. He speaks a very timely word for us. Throughout his letter, speech seems to be on his mind. He has great concern for speech, right speech. In just a brief survey, I have the verses there in the back of your order of worship. But he says this, he warns against speaking untrue things about God in chapter 1. He says, don't say, I'm tempted by God whenever you sin. In chapter 1, verse 19, he says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. He warns against hypocritical speech. You go to the rich person and say, you sit here in the good place, and then you say to the poor person, You stand over in that place over there. He warns against empty speech with no action. And this is what we talked about last week. You say, be warmed and filled, but you do not supply the needs of that person. He warns against boastful speech and false speech in chapter 3, verse 14. He warns against divisive speech in chapter 4, verse 11, when he says, do not speak evil against one another. He warns against grumbling. Now he's getting into meddling. Chapter 5, verse 9. He also talks about positive speech, especially in chapter 5. Confession, prayer, singing. But it's the warnings that dominate the letter. Warnings that culminate in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Warnings about the uncontrollable tongue. And chief on his target... The chief target are teachers. Now, we don't know what's going on here, if there are false teachers or if these teachers are just creating division with their content or with their manner. But the result is clear. Through the power of speech, through the power of tongue, such a tiny part of the body, the community is being torn apart. The body is being ripped apart by these teachings And then more broadly speaking, between the speech between brothers and sisters in Christ, it's a fire that spreads so quickly that it's difficult to put out once it starts. It all started by a single little match thrown into some brush and left unattended. But what really caught my eye this week in reading these 12 verses is the source of this destructive speech. It comes in verse 6. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, 
setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Set on fire, ignited by hell. And this makes a lot of sense when we consider the source of destructive speech as the evil one, as the accuser. In Revelation 12, the accuser is said to be accusing our brothers and sisters night and day, and his weapon is speech. So we think back to the beginning of our story, Genesis chapter 1, how God created the world through speech, bringing order out of the chaos. Well, the evil one seeks to undo the creation through speech. Think about that conversation with Eve there in Genesis chapter 3. The twisting of the words. The manipulation. The words that are designed and spoken by a forked tongue. It's our Lord Jesus himself who says in John chapter 8, verse 44, that the native tongue of the evil one is lying. He is the father of lies. If he is speaking, he is lying. So it shouldn't surprise us when James talks about speech that is destroying community and destroying relationships in the family and is destroying the, the shalom that we share with one another. He connects it to Gehenna, the burning place. Hell, the realm of the demonic. The devastating effects of speech are signs of the fall. And we see those signs everywhere. We are surrounded by it. We see it in, on, on I-35. We see it on our screens. We hear it on the radio. We see it on social media. At least I do. This week, is, we have the midterm elections. And political discourse has become a very bad joke. And it would be funny if it were not so sad. And we have people in the system who are trying to work against that. May God give them strength and mercy in doing that. But we see people who are caught up, both sides of the political aisle are caught in this fire, spreading words that are designed to create chaos, to destroy the enemy, and the news media is right there fanning the flames, keeping the fires hot. We're watching a forest fire that is out of control. People who are caught in this vicious cycle of, of throwing these political grenades at one another, we see it on our television shows. It's hard to watch a television show without it being bombarded with, with the condescension, the biting sarcasm, words that dehumanize and humiliate for a laugh. It's everywhere. But as the forest rages around us, as the fire rages around us, let us hear the word of God from this letter that James is writing who is less concerned about the fires that are raging around us in the world and more concerned with the fires that are coming from within. The fires ignited by hell. Yes, the uncontrollable tongue can even spread inside the church. If we don't dig out the trenches, if we don't buffer up our walls, it will consume us. And James says, like a little bit in the mouth of a horse, like a rudder on a big ship, so is this little instrument, this little organ that can wield so much power, and with power it can wield 
so much damage. And the destruction starts from very small sources. So it may begin with a little gossip. A little phrase, bless his heart or bless her heart, and then followed by the latest rumor that may or may not be true. It could be in the playful banter that we share with one another, but it goes beyond playful banter and then it humiliates and embarrasses. It could start in some political discussion, two people on different sides of the aisle, but it moves beyond just seeking understanding and it moves to winning the debate at all costs, even the cost of the relationship. It goes to teachers. It goes to preachers who use words to create chaos, who use words to divide and conquer, gaining power through words that force a community into factions. Yes, the fire sometimes is in our own backyard. And the speech of a fallen world can become the speech in the pews and in the pulpit and in our homes if we're not careful. And James says these things ought not to be so. These things ought not to be so. So this morning, we have the opportunity to look into the mirror and to examine our use of language with one another and with outsiders and to, use, to think about the way we use our speech. Now, in reading chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, we might, might walk away from this passage with despair. And what can be done if the tongue is uncontrollable? If the source are these powers, the demonic, the forces of hell, then what can be done? What can we do as the people of God here at Brentwood Oaks to provide an alternative vision for the people out there, the people we are surrounded with? What can be done? Well, I'll close our time together here at the pulpit with three things that I think we can do. Uh, number one, we can remember our story. We can remember our story and remember that the power that we've been given in Christ. So if this uncontrollable tongue finds its source in hell and the demonic and the what Paul calls the heavenly places, the spiritual forces of darkness then we would do well to remember our own story and the story of Jesus Christ, a mighty fortress, a spiritual protection against whatever is out there. It's part of the gospel story. It's interwoven, especially in Paul, the idea of the rulers and the authorities and the powers. But there's a verse that's very important in the New Testament, and it's in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 where Paul is addressing a community that is being torn apart by these dangerous philosophies who, and teachers who are using speech to divide and to place burdens on people that ought not to be there. And Paul names the source of these, but then he says this in the context of the cross and how the cross challenges these authorities. He says in chapter 2, verse 15, He, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities. And it's not that we don't struggle against these authorities and these rulers. Paul says we, we do struggle against them. 
Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it's against the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. But Jesus disarmed them at the cross. And that is good news for the people of God, especially when it comes to our speech. Remember our story. The good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. A second thing we can do are the three P's of ministry. Pray, pray, and pray. If this is a spiritual battle, if we're talking about spiritual warfare, then why wouldn't we go to our Heavenly Father when asking for the power against this uncontrollable tongue? So, beg some questions. How often do we pray for one another specifically for our speech? How often do we pray for one another to help us to tame our tongues as a witness to the world? Admittedly, it's not on my radar. I don't think about it often. But wouldn't that be interesting to take the order of worship that Ryan encouraged us to take home and when we pray over the names, when we pray over those who are enduring physical trial and those who are in life situations, that we also pray for their speech. We pray for their witness. We pray for the way that we as brothers and sisters in Christ speak to one another, that our words would be true and encouraging and edifying and not participating in this forest fire of speech that we're surrounded with. We pray for our witness to the world. As Paul says, that our language toward outsiders is to be seasoned with salt, Colossians 4, verse 6, as a witness of the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, a third thing that we can do, this is the hard one, it's to opt out. To opt out. We don't have to participate in this if we've been given the power, if Jesus has disarmed the rulers and the authorities. We don't have to participate. We don't have to comment on our social media. We don't have to engage in certain ways that are going to bring about chaos. And this is hard. I think this is really hard, especially when we are in close relationship with someone, when we're in a conversation. So I know I'm not the only one that this happens to, but... There are moments in a conversation, we're talking with someone, and we know sometimes in real time, we recognize that conversation is going to a gutter. It's going to a place that the people of God do not want to go. And it happens. It's the uncontrollable tongue, and it's sometimes, from the conversations I've had, it's started by other people, and sometimes I can instigate that whether it is whatever, political discourse, disparaging remarks, words that don't edify and build up, and we fan the flames. Well, what can we do about that? Well, we can, we can say something. A phrase that I've heard, and it was actually used by someone in a conversation with me one time, was, you know what, we don't have to go there. We can take the high road. We can take the high road in this conversation. We don't have to let the evil powers win. 
the powers that we have been given power over through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We don't have to go there as brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's hard to say. I think sometimes we don't want to appear to be self-righteous. But this is spiritual warfare we're talking about in a little fire. A little fire can go a long way in doing much destruction. It can start small, but then it gets easier and easier to participate in the fires of destructive speech as it builds and builds and builds from within, spreads in a group. The church can be set on fire. That is not happening here, widespread, but it is happening. I mean, it's, we're human Let's snuff the fire out while we can. And so we remember our story, remember, we pray, we opt out. It's not quite like, not as catchy as stop, drop, and roll, but it's something we can play with. Remember the story, pray, and opt out. Think about that. Let's think about that fire that was raging 18 years ago there in South Dakota, started by one little match, an image that 2,000 years before that, James brings out to talk about this uncontrollable tongue, to talk about the terrible signs of the fall, the speech, the destructive speech is a sign of a fallen world. But brothers and sisters in Christ, we are not people of the fall. We are people of the empty tomb. And the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that resides in us. Let us this week be witnesses to that transforming power of Christ within us, within this body. And let our words be seasoned with salt for the glory of God and the glory of the kingdom. We have a time of invitation now to think on such things. It's an invitation that has many Well, there are many different invitations going on at once. First and foremost, it's the invitation to, as we have heard the word from James, to internalize it. We have a song that will help us do that about angry words. And maybe we're haunted by angry words. We all have those moments, but God can transform those moments and God can transform those relationships and redeem even the angriest of words if we let God have his work with us. So we have an invitation to respond in that way. If you need prayers of your brothers and sisters for some other situation, uh, the invitation is there as well to come forward or to meet with Donovan in the chapel following our assembly. If you'd like to be baptized, you have come to faith, you've come to uh, a a knowledge of the story, and you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, we can arrange that as well. If you've been immersed and you would like to join with us in the work that God is doing here among us, The invitation is open as well. We invite you to consider such things as we stand and as we sing.